everybody. Welcome to the Jam Room Podcast. Hope you've had a great week. It's been pretty good over here in Perth. I'm enjoying the summer holidays. It's been hot as fuck. In and out of the pool. Had a little bit of an algae bloom that took a couple of days out of that. But it's all under control now. Back swimming. And uh, yeah, just enjoying the sunshine, guys. I hope you're doing the same. Or enjoying the winter or whatever the fuck you're doing. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, welcome to the Jam Room Podcast. You're with me, Scott. And uh, we've got some stuff to talk about today, guys. Um, I'm going to hit a couple of beats here. I want to talk about um, Paul McCartney's new album, some new stuff from London Grammar, and and uh, get into some music stuff towards the end, I think. So stay tuned for that. Um, so uh, yeah, let's jump right into it, guys. Uh, towards the end of last year, uh, Paul McCartney dropped an album called McCartney 3. And it's, uh, again, one of those ones that uh, fell under my radar, did not hear about it at the time, um, but have had a couple of listens through this week. Uh, if you've listened to it, what do you think? Uh, Paul McCartney, this fucking dude, uh, 78 years old and he's still fucking getting into the studio, like, Jesus Christ, the work ethic is insane. Um, so good on him. Um, so like I said, the album's called McCartney 3. Came out just before Christmas, I think. Maybe after, can't remember. Right around that time when no one was paying attention, and uh, yeah, it's a Paul McCartney album. It is what it is, guys. There's some cool little guitar parts through there. It's one of those albums that's kind of um, takes itself full circle. Uh, so, like the the first song of the of the album, sort of is uh, repeated a little bit in the last song of the album. So it feels like you've you've come back home by the end of it. You know, that's a that's a cute little thing to do in an album, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a you know fine album. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it, nothing completely offensive, uh, as far as weird chords and stupid ideas go. But uh, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed it, and uh, there was a lot of songs that I could definitely just skip through. It doesn't really matter. A bit folksy, a bit whatever for me. Uh, guys, like the age I'm at, I'm 33. We missed the Beatles, so I don't know what to tell you find them probably one of the most overrated bands of all time not to say that they're not good i'm just saying overrated because people look at these guys like gods and i'm not really too sure about that however kudos kudos fucking they've done a lot of great music they are a great band and uh paul mccartney's still doing it i don't know why at 78 years old i mean it seems a little bit strange for me but it's kind of cool there was a track on the album called deep deep feeling and like for an old guy, he's got a pretty modern fucking take on things. This kind of was a little bit Arctic Monkeys style to me. And it was really fucking cool. It was a great, great track. And uh, yeah, so good on him. Like, I wish I could be writing innovative music like that um, at that age. Fucking this age would be good. But either way, he's fucking doing his thing. Uh, so that was a new album from uh, from Paul McCartney, a.k.a. Billy Shear, a.k.a. William Campbell or whatever. I don't know. Did you guys ever get into that conspiracy bullshit about Paul McCartney? Um, how he apparently died in the late 60s or whatever, and like, well, let's say 66. And, um, you know, all the rumors started coming out and everyone's listened to their records backwards and all that sort of shit, looking for clues and looking through all the album covers and all the photos and stuff like that and pointing to weird things to be evidence and like I don't know where I sit on that guys it's a pretty fucking 
crazy idea. I mean, if Paul McCartney really was replaced, they replaced him with a fucking genius musician still. Um, and the odds of that are pretty few and far between. But either way, um, I had fun going down that YouTube rabbit hole. I, I suggest you do it at one point because uh, it, it's funny to see what the hell people were pointing to. I mean, I mean, the best piece of evidence they have is just how fucked up the cover art on Beatles albums were. Have you guys ever seen them? Like fucking Sergeant Pepper and the, the Lonely Hearts Club or whatever. Like, that's a that's that that that's okay. But then you look at other ones and they're covered with fucking blood and dead like models of babies. And you're like, this was the Beatles really? Really? They're 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 fucking throwing blood all over their nice white suits and posing for an album cover, not just a gag by like with friends. Yeah, it's pretty um pretty ridiculous. So that they've got a lot of fucked up artwork which can be interpreted in a million ways and one of those ways is that Paul McCartney died and that they replaced him with a lookalike and somehow taught him how to play left-handed bass and sing exactly the same and um, be just as much of a creative genius. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. Maybe someone else is writing his songs for him. But either way, the album was good. Go down that rabbit hole because it is fun and it is funny and let me know what the hell do you think. Do you reckon it's a fucking a stand-in for Paul McCartney and he's just like producing albums till the day he dies because that's what he was programmed by, by some mind control shit in the 60s? Or is Paul McCartney still just rocking it because he loves the shit out of music? That's probably the, the most uh, reasonable explanation for me. But either way, Paul might be dead. He might not be dead. We might be watching some other guy, which, uh, let's face it, is pretty good as well. So... Whatever, good luck to him, and I uh, hope you check out that album. It's called McCartney 3. Um, but also this week, uh, in fact, it's the first new music of uh, 2021 that I've listened to was from uh, London Grammar. What do you guys know about this band? If it's nothing, you need to fix that, because that's ridiculous. London Grammar is um, one of the coolest bands of late, one of my favorites, and uh, they hit us with a new signal, uh, signal, fucking a new single uh, this week. Uh, called Lose Your Head, I think it's called, maybe, yeah, Lose Your Head or whatever. I guess they're like uh, leaking a couple of singles coming up to a, an album release soon, I guess, doing like kind of what Smashing Pumpkins did. Um, but either way, this is a, a new one from them, Lose Your Head, really cool song, guys. If you don't know London Grammar, go check them out. Like, they are so fucking impressive, it's disgusting. It's disgusting how impressive this band is. Uh, for a bunch of young younger dudes... Um, and girl, obviously, uh, singer hanger Hannah Reed. Shout out to her, one of the greatest vocalists I've ever heard. Um, yeah, so just just check them out, and and I highly recommend checking out their first album called If You Wait. Uh, I have it on vinyl because it's a fucking masterpiece in my opinion, and it's a debut album, guys. So as far as debut albums go, this is fucking up there as one of the greatest of all time. Um, you know what? I think we should talk about that next next week on the podcast. Um, so I'll reach out to you guys. Let me know what your favorite debut albums are. Um, because London Grammar have done a fucking sensational job of coming out strong. And that's obviously one of their hot singles from the new uh, their first album. That I didn't intend that fucking pun, but anyway. Um, what other albums just blew you the fuck away and it's a new band and it's their first album? Because it doesn't have, there's a lot of, uh, it doesn't happen often, sorry. There's a lot of albums out there that, like, 
are great, but the band kind of grew into themselves, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, some of my favorite bands, like if we talk about the heavier sort of side, like like Tool or Deftones or whatever, I'm not a huge fan of their earlier stuff. I think they grew into their style a lot better. Um, but then there's other sort of bands that like just blew you away from the get-go and might have got worse since then, you know. Not gonna lie, that's happened. You know, uh, mentioned last week, fucking Cog with the the album, the new new normal, the new normal. Actually, I'm getting dry mouth. I need to have a beer. Yeah, the new normal by Cog, um, fucking fantastic album. Not a huge fan of the one since, um, but still, I will put that down as one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Um, so let me know. Um, we'll talk about it next week, I reckon. We'll get onto the topic of debut albums. And I know everybody could sort of argue that like like Guns N' Roses with Appetite of Destruction, Appetite for Destruction, that that album was probably the best debut album of all time. And, you know, money-wise and following-wise and, and just impact on society-wise, like social clout-wise, uh, it's fucking got to be up there. Um and there's, you know, all right, so we'll set some more parameters. It doesn't have to be a debut band album, but like a great musician debuting on an album of perhaps an existing band, right? Uh, what's a good example of that? All right, fucking uh, Trav Barker. Travis Barker. If you don't know who Travis Barker is, he's um, a fucking sensational drummer, um, best known for drumming with Blink-182, I would say. Uh, but he debuted as a drummer from from nowhere in 99 on Enema of the State, which was not Blink-182's first album. They had another drummer before then. But if you listen to that album start to finish as a drummer, you cannot tell me that that's one of the greatest drumming performances you've ever heard with a straight... Like, you can't tell me it's not with a, with a straight face. It's ridiculously good, and for a debut album, it's amazing. So I would include those sorts of things. So if there's a musician that's done a great fucking job for his first time appearing on an already existing band's album, let me know. Um, there's also bands that like a... Hmm, let's think about this a little bit. Like side projects. But if the creativity of the band is really good, like... Um, so we've talked about Pussifer, obviously, you know. Uh, to the point of nauseam, but uh, you know, if there's a side project, like for instance, I would say a perfect circle. Their first album, Murder Noms, was one of the greatest debut albums of all time. I would say that. Um, same with like a spin off of fucking Deftones, like Team Sleep. They only produced one album and it's fucking tremendous. Uh, so let's include those. So spin off first albums, fucking guest musician first albums, and just general whole band first albums, like going from the debut. Let's talk about them. Let's see what what are the greatest ones. What do you guys think? Let me know. You guys know how to hit me up. If you just check the description below, there'll be all my details and all that sort of shit down there. Um, but yeah, that's what we'll talk about ne uh, next week. And obviously, I kind of went on this bit of a tangent based on um uh, the new single from London Grammar. But uh, if you have a chance to check out their old stuff, check out that album, because like I said, it's one of the best debut albums I've ever heard in my life. Uh, the album's called If You Wait, uh, 2014, 13, 13, I reckon, something around there. Uh, 
ridiculously good album, guys. Some of my favorite songs on there are the the title track itself, "If You Wait." She just like she's one of these um these singers that just comes in strong. Like you know, they say a triple threat is fucking like you can sing, you can act, you can dance, whatever. But she's like the real triple threat. What they really mean, which is be fucking really good at something and be very marketable. So they say two threats, but being good at something means what I say the triple threat is that you're fucking an incredible singer. You got pipes like a motherfucker, and she definitely does. Who are we talking about? Hannah Reed. Yeah. Definitely got the pipes. Definitely got the looks. This girl's fucking stunning. And then fucking number three is actually creative and actually good at writing music and can actually contribute to her own style and create it for herself. Doesn't need direction. And like, oh my God, she's got it in spades because no one sings like her. She's not ripping off anybody in particular. And uh, Jesus Christ, she does some great, great things. So check out that album. And uh, with with that, um, I'm going to leave you with a... (laughs) With a little song that I recorded for you, I recorded it just before this podcast, guys. I'm I'm sorry, it's gonna suck. Um, but we're talking about London grammar and all that sort of shit, and uh, so I went to re- record like a little guitar loopy cover of of the the song "Strong," which was the big radio hit that that alerted me um, to London grammar, and then I f- I fell in love with all their other music over that sort of stuff. But anyway, it was the first song I had heard, so I thought I would do a little guitar loopy cover for you. Uh, but in doing so, I thought well, maybe I'd take a chance to uh, <laughs> talk to you guys about some music sort of stuff. You know, this is a music podcast of sorts. So uh, let's get into it. You remember how um, before, like maybe a couple of episodes ago, I started talking about some Taylor Swift music or whatever, and we talked about some chords and all that. I realized uh, we should follow on that train a little bit and talk about um, the song Strong by London Grammar. And uh, the beautiful chord progressions that they've got going on in there and um, their simplicity and where you might have heard them from and the language that goes with it, which is a musician's thing. So if you're a musician, this is all going to be fucking fairly familiar to you. If not, this is how musicians talk about shit. Well, at least this is how I do. I know musicians take a lot of different styles to how they want to convey fucking musical ideas, but it is what it is, guys. So let me pick up a guitar here. So anyway, so um, the song's strong. Uh, I'm only really saying this because I literally just recorded myself trying to play through it. I, I, I'm going to give you guys the first take. Fuck it. I can't be bothered doing a better job. I didn't make up any good patches or anything like that. And, um, whatever. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, most of the song is based around three chords, right? Um, it's based around a bar of, uh, C minor. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Then, uh, that's a B flat and... Then there's two bars of F, right? And so trying to figure out what key this song is in uh, is a little bit more difficult than you think. Uh, So not really. Not if you're a musician. It's fucking easy. But this chord progression, we would call that a 2-1-5 progression, right? Uh, Pretty pretty standard sort of stuff, but two, one, five, but the one doesn't feel like home, so it's a little bit of a strange one. But this this chord progression you've heard... um, Maybe in Chris Isaac's Wicked Games, I think. That's a, but it's just down a, a semitone. A B minor. A B minor to A to E. S- same progression, same progression. Anyway, you've heard this before. Fucking, 
even Dream Theater have used it at points and, and stuff. So it's not an uncommon chord progression. It's actually really, really cool. Um, but either way, like I said, that 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 B flat chord does not feel like home. What feels like home? Like have a listen. I don't know if you guys can hear this, but going from C minor to B flat, that should be a one. It really feels like that F, that five chord, is your home, uh, which makes the whole song in uh, Mixolydian mode. Now we have all these fucking stupid names of modes. It's basically the the, like the, this is the same scale, but depends what your fucking bass is, where you start from, um, and how it grows from there. Uh, we'll give you different names for it. So, uh, what's the quickest way to talk to you guys about this? Uh, imagine a piano and you're smashing all the white keys, right? Just going brick up the up the up the piano. Um, there's seven unique notes there, and if you start from C and end on C, C D E F G blah blah blah. blah and then go back to C, uh, that's a C major scale. Um, and then if you start from D and go up to D, same fucking notes, same white keys, all the white keys, just but D to D this time, it's called something else. It'll be mode number two, we call it Dorian. Right? Um, and so if you do that for all the seven things, you get these seven different names. Seven different names from your starting point, which is what feels like home. And they all have completely different vibes to them. So it's definitely important. This isn't just useless knowledge. Um, so we, we have our, our seven modes, right? We have Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, which is our minor, and then Locrian, which we talked about uh, last week with that weird, horrible fucking um, diminished shape to it. Not last week. Whenever we talked about it last, it was a few weeks ago, man. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so uh, this song, if you take that first chord, the C minor, to be really what your home chord is, then you would call it C Dorian. You would never take that because it doesn't feel right. It's too transient. Then you go to that F major and uh, you're a Mixolydian, uh, which basically means you're playing your B flat major scale over an F chord. And uh, that's the beauty of, uh, of this song is that it, it, it's only got a few differences, but those differences matter. Like uh, Mixolydian's this sort of uh, mode that like, oh, this song's in the, let's say it's in the key of F. So you've... Got these nice happy major sounds, but then that weird little dark note there in the end, that's that's the the minor seventh in the major chord. Anyway, it's a fucking Mixolydian note. It's in this song. It's fucking cool. Um, when I did the loops for it, I just did that the, the C minor B flat F chord progression, but I realized in the song, the actual song, Strong by London Grammar, um, when it goes to the chorus, instead of going to the C, uh, the C minor there, it goes to an E flat major, um, which would be the, the four chord. So it becomes a four, one, five progression. Uh, either way, I, I, I skipped that out. It doesn't really fucking matter for the little sketch that I gave you guys. And, and like I said, this was me just, I, I, I used to muck around with this looping thing like, a, like years and years ago. Uh, so I'd pretty much forgotten it. So I just decided to try and record it in one take. So. I apologize for slipping out of time every now and then. You probably hear me hitting my pedals. You probably hear me fucking swearing in the background and stuff like that. But either way, it's what it is. It's um, it was a, it was a fun one to do. And like I said, it's all in the key of F Mixolydian. Um, great key if you guys want to jam with it. And uh, I thought I would keep it real simple. So when I, when I did the recording, guys, I, I I kept in mind if you guys are like 
uh, maybe a guitarist out there that's like maybe beginner to intermediate sort of thing. This is a real fucking simple song to do. Super easy. I kept it super, super simple. It's literally one little textural loop, then the chords over the top of that, and then just the vocal melodies hacked out with some simple scales. And either way, it sounds the way it's going to sound to you right now. So... Hope you've had a great week, guys. This is the Jam Room Podcast, and this is uh, my stupid little loop version of uh, Strong by London Grammar. And like I say, guys, I, I, I didn't stick to any structures or anything like that. I just tried to hack it out from, from my memories. I probably should have listened to the song first, but it is what it is. All right, have a great week, guys. I'll chat to you next time. <laughs>